0: On April 30th, our brother and my friend Chris Farrar was taken from us. This man, who I met only a year ago, taught me and so many others lessons from his personal war. Chris had traveled through his own inferno and gained the wisdom granted to those who survived such a journey. Chris came face to face with his demons and named them all. He faced what most of us refuse to accept as part of us. What most of us do not think we are even capable of, though we are. Chris had an incredible perspective on life because of his past, and like Dante, looked up to heaven for his future. Chris did what many, including myself, work, wish, and hope to do. He left this world better than he found it. For this week's episode, we are re-airing the original interview with Chris where he tells his story. Please enjoy episode 11, Lessons Learned from the Battle Within.
1: Good morning, and welcome to the 11th episode of Fight in Woo. Progress. <laughs> good morning, Ace. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you doing?
1: Good. Look, we even have an audience here in the Under the Shield
0: studio. Cue audience clapping noises. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, <you're> <laughs> <not>. <laughs> you're He'll so add that in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that would have been funny. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, anyway, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, glad to have you here, and... Who's this guy? I, I, some some vagrant that I went out and oh, I thought you invited recruited him. off the street. I gave him all this
0: equipment. I thought you invited him.
1: Yeah, no, I you know, we have to start paying people to come in here. Oh, Our guests God. are also paid people. I just pulled off the street walking down the road and thought they needed something to do. I'm the only one in
0: the room not paid. <laughs> exactly. No, <laughs> there's two of
1: us not being paid. Oh, that's true, too. Yeah, I'm not being paid Why are you getting either. all this money? Uh, what money? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, we have... Uh, uh, very experienced police officer with us this morning.
0: Well, it's nice of you to say about me, Susan, yes. uh, but it's only been a few years. You're the baby
1: police, buddy. <laughs> you got a lot to learn. Um, but anyway, Chris is with us. Um, for any of you that might have been listening to the Badge Boys podcast, what was that last week, two weeks ago? It was two weeks ago. Um, Chris was on the show as I was a guest host. And he's with us today, and we're honored to have him here, although it's really hard for me to say nice things about him because he can be such a pain in my ass sometimes.
2: at least i'm not sitting on the couch it's true (laughs) true. you've
1: been there plenty of times
2: i permanently rent this yeah yeah
1: and it won't be long i'm sure before he'll be back on there after this podcast but anyway um but we're glad glad to have you with us chris thanks so tell us your life story here for everybody in the world to hear how long do we have um, we'll we'll give you an hour. We have okay. an hour on this podcast. <laughs> so
2: so you,
0: you're in law enforcement, right?
2: I am. Okay. Uh, coming up on 18 years. Okay. All so, right. so when we talk about, I met Susan in 2012. Was it? It was. Um, so, uh, she is uh... <laughs> careful here. <laughs> <laughs> careful. <laughs>
1: I the red man him. stick is within reach, and so, so are you. see him
2: deliberating. We pay a good good amount of money for her services. <laughs> yeah, and, let's uh, break
1: that down. What Would you figure it out to be
2: roughly a dollar fifteen a month? <laughs> um, so yes, that is good. one
1: dollar and fifteen cents a month,
2: people. <laughs> so when we talk about uh, Susan um, <laughs> in her term, the psychological garbage can, uh, I think everybody has garbage in their garbage can. It just depends on how much you have in your garbage can. Mine, Susan and I talked about it after the Badge Boys uh, podcast that we did. And the event in November of 2012, which I spent a little time on, uh, filled my garbage can at that time. So a friend of ours had reached out for help. Um, She was having troubles in her marriage, and it was serious troubles that she was having. And
1: and non-law enforcement person, right?
2: Complete non-law enforcement. We had owned a Taekwondo studio, and we taught her boys, and Taekwondo is how, how we met this family, and okay. then we got to be good friends. So during this meeting that I had with her, it was roughly on a Thursday, um, she was ex- she was telling us me a lot about domestic violence type issues uh, that she was having. She's a professional, I was going to say professional dancer, but that doesn't... That doesn't sound. <laughs> that, that leaves the um, imagination
1: a little too crazy. A professional
0: conservative
2: dancer. So
1: remember your audience. Chris. Tango, your... you know. Got
2: so you. truly okay. a professional dancer, and she owned her own studio. So we had met in her studio, and at that time she showed me a broken laptop. She spoke of some physical violence toward her dance partner, and I'd gotten to my car that after we were done with our meeting, and sat in my car, turned my car back off, went back inside the studio, and. I wanted to give her another hug, and I told her that I was scared of the issues that she was dealing with. Uh, My wife and I invited her to stay with us at our home in Chandler. Uh, She refused. Um, Come to find out, uh, four days later, we saw it on the news. Her husband had shot and killed her and shot and killed himself. So in that last meeting that I had with her, I told her to back her car into the garage, uh, leave her purse next to the bed because she was sleeping in one of her boys' rooms in the house, and keep her cell phone under the her pillow. Well, that's how the uh, detectives found her in in that position. So, me at the time as a sergeant and as a dad, um, as you know, a friend, a friend, you know, a, a protector. As guys, especially in law enforcement, we think that you know that we can help people and get people out of situations and. I couldn't get her out of that situation. So the day before she died, she had sent a text to uh, several people, and that text was in Spanish. And obviously I can't read Spanish, but I had friends at work translate that message at least a dozen times throughout that year. So it took me a full year to delete that message off of my phone because I, I felt guilty about not being able to help her. after The night of the incident, so I went up and, and gave a... Uh, Statement to the Scottsdale Police Department. Then I met with the boys after that. And when I refer to boys, they were roughly 21 and 23 at the time. So they were young men. Um, These young men are the most amazing men that you've ever met, you know, doing handstands on Mount Kilimanjaro. You know, they've traveled the world, you know, just unbelievable boys, as I refer to them. And they hugged me in the middle of a street. So I met with them after I gave my statement. And so the boys, I had them in my arms. They were crying. And the youngest one who was home during the incident pulled away from me and said, my mom's dead because of me. So the older boy, I asked him, what do you guys need? You know, so obviously as, you know, a man, we like to try to fix everything. And And you're
1: a trained problem solver. That's what cops are.
2: um, The oldest one said, my friends don't see the stuff that you see. Mm -hmm. And I need stuff out of my room. So I told him I would be gladly go in his room. Um when I went in his room was which is where mom was staying that night which was right next to the other other boy's room. That's the shot he heard a shot in the middle of the night and got up and was trying to figure out what the noise was. Hmm. So this room in this enormous house, 4000 square foot house, whatever that it is up in Scottsdale, uh it was just covered in blood. So these boys have won many awards, Taekwondo awards, their college awards. Uh, One was going for his master's degree. The other one was going for his bachelor's degree. So on this wall, obviously when, so dad took two shots, he took a temple shot to start with and it didn't kill him. So he took a secondary shot. So the splatter was all over the wall and everywhere in there. So there was another young man that was trying to help out with details basically. Mm -hmm. And so they had shut the door to the room and said, we'll deal with that later. So having been on many scenes like that, I explained to them, you can't just let that sit. Mm -hmm. So they had wood floors in the room. Um, I reached out to somebody at our department and got the name of the company that comes out and does some of the cleanup for us. That lady had arrived and had to call somebody else out, a secondary person to help and said, it's the worst scene that she's been on personally. So they had to cut out part of the wood floor. They had to get rid of the mattress, you know, all this stuff. I spent, you know, I spent just a little time on this on the last podcast that we did. But I wanted to spend a little bit more time today because you say, you know, a friend got murdered. There was there was so much more to it and spending the night in the house all by myself. So I had, was working on my house doing con- some construction work during the day. So I'd been up at 5 a.m. So stayed up. All night long, there was all my friend's stuff, you know, throughout that house. She sure. was a painter, so she had her paintings all over the house. And I'd been in the house before for different gatherings and stuff, but I've never obviously been there alone after my friend got murdered. They wanted to, the boys wanted to hold the funeral together, and that was hard for a lot of us, knowing that he took her life, sure, yeah. but obviously the boys. That was their decision. And we held it together. I used the term walked them down the aisle. I know that sounds like a wedding term. But you know, when the boys got there for the funeral, I was part of that. And um, my wife and I had paid for the room cleanup at the time. And, you know, so there was a lot of involvement with with taking care of that stuff.
1: So you became the primary caregiver in this whole situation, basically.
2: So there was an uncle that lived in Uh, Washington DC and a sister of the deceased that lived in Panama so they couldn't come in for several more days and then as the boys have all their they eventually came back into the house so the younger one wouldn't come into the house immediately and it took them several days to actually step foot back into the house eventually that's where they started holding their gatherings and you know people bringing food and you know, that kind of stuff. So we met with the uncle outside who was not happy with the thought of having the funeral together because sure. his former brother-in-law killed his sister. Sure. Right. So we're dealing with some adult stuff also yeah. and trying to arrange, you know, the funeral. And, you know, there was people there that were already talking about selling the house and just stuff we had to, to slow the kids down, basically, to say, sure. you don't necessarily do this stuff right away. So that was in the end of 2012. 2013 was the first time I went into atrial fibrillation, um, just rapid heartbeat. Got to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I was beating over 160 beats a minute. I'd never been Jeez. in AFib before, so I didn't know what was going on. And obviously, with dealing with your heart, it kind of freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> no, yeah. I can't so, imagine. So, <laughs> and going through all the tests, eventually getting converted back out. Um, I pass and and no pun intended but Ace all the the <laughs> cardiology tests so the the treadmill test and the, mm-hmm. you know all this stuff they can't find anything wrong um, 2014 we had an officer killed roughly in March and forgive me if I'm getting the dates wrong we had two killed in October, October within
1: which, 24 hours
2: of each other It was very very short. Yes. Uh, time frame. So we were just dealing with the one, and then we get word that the other one was hit and killed by a DUI driver on his motor. And so, as we're going through this stuff in 2014, it's it it wasn't that I knew these three guys and were you know best friends with them and we worked out together. And it's it just added to my garbage can that was already full from that for yeah, event. Sure. Um, we had bought a new house in Mesa and we were going through renovations. I've done probably four or five houses now where we go in and do almost complete guts and, you know, put in new flooring and new baseboards and paint and everything else. Mm -hmm. There was literally nothing that was going right with this renovation. Everything was (laughs) trouble. And these darn stairs, so we had 40-some stairs in the house, and we had shipped in from Mexico custom-made tops, Mm -hmm. basically, and they were travertine tops, and I couldn't get the stairs to glue down. And coincidentally, as I go into AFib, I was out training with the canines. And I told one of the guys that something's wrong with my heart again. And last time that I had gone into the hospital for those type of issues, it was um, they, you know, put a couple IV bags in mm-hmm. and got you rehydrated and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, I could do this on my own. I can drink a bunch of water. <laughs> well,
1: that, yeah. Okay. There's a good
2: plan. So that led to needing to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night which led me up the stairs because I was sleeping in the basement at the time because my wife and I were separated, but we were living in the same house for financial reasons. And so that was going well? When I, uh, It's always
1: a fun situation. Yeah, Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. No well, stress.
2: So there was nine stairs going to the basement. I got to the second stair and passed out due to being an AFib again. So I woke up at the bottom of the stairs. Um What's interesting is, as I'm going down the stairs, I had flipped over, so my feet were farthest away from the stairs, laying face down. Um, Like a board. And I was in a pool of blood at the bottom of the stairs. So I had called my still wife at the time, upstairs, who was an OR nurse, and she had come downstairs and was concerned, obviously, about the amount of blood that was... uh,
0: (laughs) It's a little bit of an issue. (laughs) Damn it, he's not dead. So it... uh, a, there is a pulse.
2: And <laughs> truly, it wasn't the blood. I had told her, I'm not worried about where the blood's coming from. I pointed to my left ear and said, I've got a ton of pain in my left ear. Well, I broke off the tip of my mandible up oh. there. The first surgery that I went into after they converted me back out, they um, they left the tip of the mandible in there, okay. which was causing all kinds of problems, and my face was going numb. So I went into a secondary doctor and the first doctor was kind of the doctor that was on call, and truly he didn't do jaw surgeries before. And yeah. so that doctor said, you, "You, we can't leave that tip in there. we got to go back in. And what they had found out was I had a fracture from the middle of my mandible up and around in, in between my teeth that was moving. So they had to mm. put stabilization in there so it wouldn't move. Right before I went into the surgery, I told the doctor, uh, "My my tongue is killing me." So I'd bit off both sides of my tongue, and they had discovered that I bit nearly all the way through my tongue, you know, halfway back. So my tongue was kind of hanging there. Uh, so
1: he was a mess. That's what he's telling That
2: created us. a lot my of pain. My face hurts listening to. <laughs> I know. So, See, I, I did this last time, and now I got to back up just a little bit. That's so. Fine uh, that was March 15th of 2015. So in the beginning of February, so our issues had started, you know, into that last year. So we didn't have Thanksgiving together. We didn't have Christmas together. We had decided roughly around new years that we were going to get separated. Then we came back together. So I was going through a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And speaking of anxiety, so (laughs) we, um, we're talking with someone now in Northern Arizona that's going through some anxiety. Yes, and it's it's interesting to me how everybody's anxiety is different, but it's the same. Yes. So oh, it's yeah. just uncontrollable urge. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. Um, I'd lost thirty plus pounds, and people were commenting at work at how how uh, thin my face was. And I just realized I talk with my hands a lot.
3: You do. Yeah, just the same, just quiet a
2: note time there. Line up like this. Yeah. <laughs> No, I so, everything in front of me. so on that day, it was February 1st of 2015, I drove up to 202 and 40th Street and parked my car on the side of the freeway and I was going to jump in front of a semi to kill myself. Um, I was in tears on the side of the freeway. I was westbound going toward Phoenix and decided that I couldn't do it because I couldn't do it to somebody else. So I didn't want to traumatize that truck driver that ultimately would... obviously kill me. So I'd gotten back in my car, and I drove down to the 101 just north of Elliott Road. And my thinking on that was, it was close to my city, but it wasn't in my city, because I didn't want any of the people that I knew responding to the scene. Mm. So I'd stopped again north of Elliott Road and was going to do it again. Obviously, I couldn't do it again. I met with somebody that was on duty at the time, and we had basically made the decision that I need to get help yeah. without involving basically the department. Sure. So I self-admitted for anxiety February 2nd and February 3rd of 2015 and played the game in order to get out. Clearly, I dealt with a lot of people that were going through similar issues at me. So mm-hmm. I knew what to say, how to act. Of you, you know, did. I was on my best behavior and I was out within two days.
1: Yeah. Um, well, and let me say this. I've said this, and I've ticked off many a psychologist, but the reality is, is you guys are better psychologists than most of the PhDs I know. Psychology is the study of human behavior. This is how y'all stay alive. There's a difference in understanding psychology from a stay-alive perspective and reading it in a book on trying to figure out what's wrong with people. So you guys kind of have the inside scoop on all of
2: this. Right. Yeah, almost like a practical knowledge.
1: You know what to say, what not to say.
2: Yeah. So not eating, not sleeping. I I can back up again a little bit. So I was seeing Susan at the time through Mm -hmm. Under the Shield. sort of. Sort of. He
1: was coming to the office. Let's put it that way.
2: (laughs) So uh, we had meetings together. We Mm -hmm. call them meetings. We had sessions together. Mm -hmm. And then we had sessions alone. Uh, my wife and I did at the time.
1: Individual and then yeah, as a couple. And
2: so there was many times to where I was going through issues and I was driving and I wasn't reaching out to her. Right. So what I tell the guys and gals that are going to her now, if you just listen to what, her recommendations are because
1: I'm always what Chris
2: you're always uh, go ahead come yeah, on you I don't like s- to you, say it either you, you, you you're can, always come, right thank yeah.
1: you okay just will not get that out it's okay I'll edit that out it's <laughs> no, fine
2: yeah <laughs> no you won't <laughs> so just getting there's there's a starting point with this anxiety so I'm a pacer so when I go through my anxiety I just have this uneasiness about me and mm-hmm. I can't sit still I have to always be busy <laughs> I was for probably Two, two and a half years, I was sleeping only three hours a night. Yeah. And I just couldn't lay down to go to bed. I I'm couldn't sure sleep better. And of course, it, it was terrible. So, as we start to get me back in order and getting on the supplements, so I've heard your podcast before, Ace, and I know that you're taking the same supplements yep. that I are. <laughs> and they're very specific supplements. We've had somebody ask recently, Oh, can I take this brand and it's different? And there's the, the regimen that she puts you on is for a reason yeah. and they, yeah,
1: we can't attest to other brands. It's not to say that there aren't other brands out there that are good. And, and it's not that we get kickbacks. We should talk about getting paid. You and I could get paid if these companies, I've emailed
0: everyone. They don't want to talk to me,
1: but the reality is, is that we can only attest to the brands that we have tried the ones we have checked into the ingredients. And that's why.
2: Yeah. And now having, Having been five years past this, and some some of it at the beginning of it, almost eight years past it, I can see when I'm having issues. Mm -hmm. Recently, I went through some issues because my daughter and my granddaughter, they moved back to Utah. And so my son-in-law flew down here and then drove them back where there was a snowstorm at the time. So I'm talking to her at the time, and in between Flagstaff and Paige, obviously you lose service. So I was tracking where they were and everything else, and I was dealing with some anxiety, obviously. Right. My granddaughter and my daughter, yeah. love of my life, you know. You notice it's, the order
1: of that, the granddaughter and then the daughter. Absolutely. Yeah, the
0: youngest and cutest one gets all the love. Absolutely. I'm completely on board. Yeah. I
2: just want to make sure his daughter notes that yeah. also when she listens to this. So what this was leading to, obviously I was dealing with a bunch of issues with my jaw. So I had uh, plates screwed into my upper and lower jaw. Jeez. They didn't wire me shut. They rubber banded me shut. Which, yeah, it was a fun time they truly should have wired me shut because I wouldn't wear the rubber bands. It was very difficult to eat. And so obviously I lost more weight. Um, Mm -hmm. This led to, uh, February 21st, that weekend, my wife moved out of the house. So we had a big house in Mesa and it was almost empty. You can take whatever you want. And so I picked up my youngest daughter and had her for the day, Mm -hmm. um, and then after I dropped her off at her mom's house, then I decided to make the decision to go buy a bottle of birthday cake vodka and go. He's th- such
1: a sissy. He can't. <laughs> he can't drink scotch or anything like that. Got to be birthday cake vodka because he's not a drinker, and that is significant in this story. Right. He's not a drinker.
2: So, you know, I do have a beer occasionally. You know, but I I rarely get yeah. to the point of where I can't drive. How about that? Mm-hmm. And so. Coincidentally, from her office here, it was literally a half mile away, oh, it, yeah. the parking lot.
1: It's where I grocery shop
0: every day.
2: That Jeez. I decided to park in and consume the bottle of vodka. So I'm still...
0: I assume with nefarious purpose. Yes. Okay.
2: So I had brought my uh, my go bag with me, mm-hmm. and I had my car 9 millimeter with me, and I was going to shoot myself was the plan. Gotcha. But I couldn't. My thinking was I couldn't shoot myself without being intoxicated and completely over the top.
1: Which is usually
2: the case. And so mm-hmm. that was my plan. Um It didn't work out. Uh <laughs> I'd gotten on the phone with my ex-wife, and that led to, I don't remember how, but somehow getting on the phone with one of my fellow co-workers, who's my best friend today.
1: She contacted
2: him. Is that how it worked? Yes. Yeah, okay.
1: You called her. She called him.
2: And then he got on the phone with me. Yes. So I remember, this is about the last thing I remember. I remember uh, telling him that I'm going to do it. And I was bawling my eyes out. And he replied back, no, you're not. I'm two miles away. I'll be there in a minute. So I'm looking for my gun. And it wasn't in my go bag where it usually is. So in my little Toyota Corolla, I'm literally searching everywhere. I don't know if you know if Susan knows this, but I had taken the keys to the car and I put them in the back seat under the on the floorboard because I didn't want a chance of getting a DUI with the car on. So I was still making decisions. If that makes any sense whatsoever, Mm -hmm. sure. Um, So from this point on, I don't remember any of it. Apparently, somebody had gotten into the car and was holding me still because I was rocking back and forth a lot and I was experiencing the. The effects of extreme anxiety, being in, completely intoxicated. Yeah. And uh, that officer that had got on scene found the gun on my lap. So, literally, as I'm looking around the car, it was right there, right in my lap within reach. So,
1: and we call those God things that under the shield. Yeah. So, it was a God thing.
2: Absolutely. So, I found out later on that they had come to my house and they had removed all the guns from my house. Yeah. So, I don't know if. My wife at the time says, "Here, take them," or uh, yeah. I, I don't I know. She did. I think I don't she know did. what led to I them taking all my guns to include sure. some of my grandpa's old guns, who are yeah. in non-working order. You know, so
1: and let me interject this at this point, and, and this is what bothers me when when it's all about take their guns, take their guns. Well, if you remember, his first choice mm-hmm. was to jump off a bridge in front of a semi. Um uh, you know, it, that's always an option. We can take their guns all day long. That's a tool of your trade. We don't take a fireman's axe if they're suicidal. Right. People are looking at the wrong things when they're looking at suicide in law enforcement. We've talked I, about this. I
0: think it's just because it's convenient.
1: Well, I think everybody thinks it's the it's the gun's fault because there are experts out there who right. are saying that it's because of the firearm that suicide rates are so high. Yeah. But again, his first choice when he first thought about this in a sober state was to jump in front of a semi-truck
0: yeah he could I, have
1: driven into a uh, piling on an interstate he could have overdosed
0: yeah i don't know that the difficulty with suicide has anything to do with what tool am i going to use it i think it, i think it has entirely to do and again not a psychologist for any of you listening getting angry at me right now <laughs> but it, it doesn't seem to me to be anything related to the tool it has to be it's a psychological barrier that you're overcoming. You
1: will find a way to do it yeah. if you want to do it. Yeah, it's so. like, I
0: want to do this. It's just I'm trying to talk myself out of all the reasons not to. Right. Yeah.
2: And so Susan's talked about it for years. For some reason, I just have her voice in my head, you know, <laughs> you luck- Oh, you too. <laughs> You lucky thing. <laughs> you too. And so even before that, I was going through how I could die on duty. Mm-hmm. So being yep. on a traffic stop and step too far into traffic. And we've talked about this a lot. Yep. Um,
0: I think this is extremely common.
2: Just yes. like Jason Schechterly said two weeks ago, that's the, what, they come up with 144 suicides? Um, 100 and,
1: I've forgotten what the total count is now, but yes, it's and, up over 140. Geez.
2: And I think Susan made the comment on that day, those are the ones we know of. You right, know, right, so right. how many single vehicle accidents that, you know, in the snow are purposeful, non-purposeful, mm-hmm. you know, so, so as I spend eight days in a, um, one of our, we'll call it local hospitals, um, uh, very, very difficult for a person that lives a very regimented life in order to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, told when to eat, told when to sleep. Told it's like them. a psych hospital, right? It is a psych hospital. Okay. Yeah. And. Dealing with the people that are in there, and I had, I was had made friends with some of the workers there, so they would allow me to do some things that they wouldn't allow others to do. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write, so they had given me a pencil to write with. Everybody else couldn't have a pencil. Why I was in there, um, I had spoken to my wife, and she over the telephone had informed me that she had hired an attorney for the divorce. So God. while I'm dealing with all this, I am learning all this right. stuff. We've... Two guys from the department had met me there in the hospital, and they had talked about a medical retirement. So my two daughters, my which is my oldest and youngest uh, siblings, I have a son in the middle, they had visited me in there also, mm-hmm. which, you know, how embarrassing for yeah. dad who, for sure. you know, takes care of them type of thing just to be out of sorts. Right. Well, you're you vulnerable. Know. It feels weak. It feels weak uh, for sure. Very weak. And wasn't the right place to be making decisions on whether or not I was going to medically retire or not. This, as um, soon as I got out of the hospital, I think it was eight days. Um, she said in the last podcast that I had asked to come to her office. That wasn't exactly how it went. I was told to come to her office. <laughs> now, yeah. wait
1: a minute. I think you did call and say, hey, is it okay?
2: Yeah. Well, obviously, I wanted to fit in with all the appointments that you have. <laughs> but I had an officer pick I me up at the, the hospital for you. and drove me to get my car, which they had parked at the station. And then I drove straight to her office, which was at Alma School in Southern. There was a Southern-facing window. I stood at that window and bawled my eyes out. I remember her asking me why I was crying, Mm -hmm. and I told her I was scared. You know, I had, when your life is completely out of order, and then they put it in order for eight days, and now you're going to where you're out on your own, and it's like, okay, now... I don't think I can hold it all together. Because I'm not working. I spent roughly, so I broke my jaw in February, I'm sorry, in March, so I was roughly off the road since March. And I spent all the way until December 28th in order to get back on the road. That's an eternity. So yes. roughly nine months. And this is a guy that I love going to work. Yeah. I love staying busy at work. And now I have nothing to do. Guys uh, describe it as a vacation. It certainly wasn't a vacation. No. I, had, I had bought one of those passes at the local car wash. And I literally washed my car every single day. Oh
0: my gosh! Just I to stay busy,
2: check my mail sometimes twice a day. It's a PO box, and I know it only delivers once a day. But <laughs> literally to stay busy, he
1: can't sit still. Is the point? Here. I get.
0: Yeah, I get that. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah. You talk about tendencies that we all share as law enforcement. I mean, I'm I'm hearing a lot of similarities. Like that amount of time was that nine months? Nine months. It, like I've taken a one month training before. Like it was two. It was two two week trainings. But I was off the road for a month. I came back and I felt like I was brand new. Like I didn't know what I was doing. Sure. So I could imagine nine months. like And not being able to do the thing that keeps you driven. Because like, that's what gives me purpose. You know what I mean? I have the well, kids. Well, it's also
1: what was happening to him during those nine
0: months. Oh, so, right. It's destructive well, on top of. Because yeah. of
1: the things he was put through.
2: So I went through a what the departments call a fit for duty. Mm-hmm. So what had happened in February uh, 2nd and February 3rd, my wife was friends with a wife of somebody else that worked for the department. Okay. Okay. It had gotten, they had communicated and it had gotten back to the department that about my initial February 2nd and February 3rd admission. Right. That bought me a fit for duty. So right. I had already been working on the road before my jaw accident for almost six weeks, uh, Roughly five to six weeks, so I'm doing my job every day. They find out about the February 2nd, February 3rd admission, and they took me off the road and put me on a fit for duty. Well, I was off the road anyway because I had broken my jaw, but I was still doing my job. Mm -hmm. Okay, So the April 23rd uh, parking lot incident, that bought me another fit for duty. Okay, And when you go on a fit for duty, departments have a doctor, Yes. That works, it's always
1: going to be a psychologist or psychiatrist. That, that works
2: for papers. the city. Okay. And so when I went in, he was doctor number one. He wanted me to see doctor number two. And I didn't know this lady from, you know, she'd be walking down the road. I didn't know who she was before I saw her. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I had gone through roughly 12 to 15 sessions with her mm-hmm. and she had, she had read a write up that doctor number one did while I was sitting in her office and in the write up it said that she would make the decision about when I returned to work. She complained because that uh interferes with help me out, Susan, uh patient.
1: You're talking about the confidentiality?
2: Yeah, so she's there doing the therapy. She's doing
1: the therapy, but it doctor number one had wanted her really to be the one to clear him for duty.
0: Right, to evaluate him.
1: So that doctor number one could come off the liability side of this thing. Because as the fit for duty person for the department, then if he gets out here and does something after she clears him, he gets to point the finger at her.
0: Yeah, well, I thought about this after, because I was in the audience at the last podcast when you guys were talking about this, and I was listening to the story, and I was thinking about how these doctors that accepted whatever position to be able to start clearing people for duty, I don't know what they were thinking. They must be crazy because the amount of liability and the amount, like, how, how the heck are you supposed to know that this guy is not going to just go off the handle again, right? Right. And, I mean, I don't care how much schooling you have, you can't predict that. No, so, never. So then, but they're still going to have a process like that? That process is crazy to me. It's like, it well, is. how do we feel about it? Eh whatever roll the dice like it's that's crazy and then so this guy gets juggled around because you knuckleheads can't sort it out you know what i mean that's that's crazy to me because they don't
1: understand the population those of us that do because you'll hear about the other doctors because there's one he does come across that who who gets it
0: well but they at least understand that it's a ridiculous process which is why he gets handed off so many times Sure. if that's the case the process should change absolutely so it won't but it should it's so frustrating anyway continue. so that
2: so I had brought a piece of paper from Doctor Number One into the office, and she read that piece of paper. She actually, while I was sitting in her office, picked up the phone to call him and had a one-way heated conversation. And he was upset that the conversation was happening in front of me. There was no stopping her at this point in time because right. yeah, she she's was a, she's an awesome. She lady. was extremely <laughs> upset. This led to her. I know no other word but quitting. Mm-hmm. And not seeing me anymore because she wasn't going to be put in that position. Right. So doctor number one recommended doctor number three and said, I've dealt with this woman before. Call her up. Uh, took me about a almost two weeks to get a hold of her to get a phone call back. She said, I have no idea who doctor number one is. I don't know why he recommended <laughs> me, but I can't see you. the city came back with because doctor number one (laughs) we need to we need to we
0: need to find this dude we know where he is i want to check the stamp on his diploma because this dude doesn't sound like a doctor
2: so what i'm trying to get through to the city is they that i'm trying to do something right okay so it's not yeah it's not like he's just
1: sitting at home he's 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 trying to get help
2: here people so i went to east mesa the city recommended doctor number four Okay. And doctor number four, I sat in her office, uh, just like you and Susan are sitting across from each other, and she took sheets of paper, and she's filling out notes, literally. And she filled out almost two sheets, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And we got to the end of, it was a little bit longer for the first appointment yes. for some reason, so it was almost an hour and a half. She li- it was a
1: thorough intake, unlike yes. some, but it was a very thorough intake, as it should have been.
2: So she literally handed the sheet of paper to me back, you know, her sheets of paper, she handed them to me and says, I agree with doctor number two. It should be doctor number one's decision. So I can't see you. So this led to Mm -hmm. AZ cops recommending doctor number five. Thank heavens. Okay. Thank heavens. Okay. This is the blessing in this entire catastrophe. I'm seeing light at the end of the tunnel then. Okay. (laughs) So doctor number five, who I didn't know, he's Mm -hmm. up in Scottsdale and, uh, he did an independent fit for duty. So it cost me out of my own pocket, almost $1,900 in order to get a fit for duty. Makes and perfect sense. He cleared me in August of 2015. You ready to return to duty? Here you go. So I took that independent fit for duty and gave it to doctor number one. And that didn't go over very well because doctor number one still wasn't clear on me well
0: doctor number one apparently doesn't have any opinions of his own well so. but let's
1: talk about doctor number one for just a minute because here was the interesting part in his fit for duty not to return chris to work yeah my name appears in the report no, they don't more like than chris's you. name and i've never met this man wouldn't know him if he walked through my door right now into the studio and chris had made the statement to him i guess in the initial meeting what that you were seeing you. susan simmons at under the shield I don't know how, did he even ask you any questions about me other than maybe you told him I wasn't
2: licensed by choice? He must have done research or something something. to to figure it out. So when he, he, doctor number one, I saw him again roughly in the beginning of September and he didn't clear me. I had five recommendations (laughs) in order to get cleared. Four of the five had her name in it to include stop seeing Susan, you know. (laughs) <laughs> the, well, why <laughs> we don't know
1: <laughs> That that is the mystery that still remains to be solved
0: I'm going to make an appointment with
2: doctor I think number you one should. in an alleyway
1: and when you and when you walk in the very first thing you tell him is now, now I've been working with Susan Simmons and watch his head implode
2: oh my God. so in this and with all the stuff that's in the independent doctor number five's recommendations right. he had mentioned a guy that he knew who's in Mesa to say Hey, every once in a while when you when you need it, you can see doctor number 6. Yes. So doctor number 1 caught on to the fact that he doctor number 5 recommended doctor number 6. So he said you need it x amount of appointments with him yes. before I even consider yes clearing you. And then doctor number 7 in this whole situation was the one that was prescribing meds and I don't remember at this point. I know Ativan was there. Yeah. Some type of sleep Yeah, I don't remember what all they put you on, but... Was there. So I had a meeting with doctor number one, which was five days before my short-term disability would run out and I would no longer be a sworn police officer, no longer employed. Okay. And so he had said in that meeting, what are you going to do if I don't clear you? Well, clearly, because I had been seeing Susan. Chamber check. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we had a lot of things in place, so I had put applications in at other places, and Damn. I said, I've got plan B. If plan A doesn't work, which I don't know if I had said something different, if that would have led to him right. not clearing me. Right. So I had gone through all kinds of stuff at work. I had gone through a merit board hearing, so they had uh, taken my stripes from me. And I mean, my, let's
1: kick a man while he's down. So <laughs>
2: my, my parking lot incident was... Part of the reason why they demoted me. Sure. And I'd gone through a merit board hearing, um, didn't win the merit board hearing and went back as a police officer. So I didn't immediately go back to the road. I went into the property section for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. The
0: land of banishment. I I don't know what we were waiting for. (laughs) We just had a guy retire from property. He'd been there for like 37 years. And I had no idea he was sworn. That dude carried a gun. Well, but here was
1: the other interesting part, because one of the things I started doing when when doctor number four and number five were involved, I reached out to a friend who was had been a police psychologist at NYPD. He was down in Boca Raton, Florida, and I knew he was very well connected to the FBI. Well, it turned out he actually had written the protocol for the FBI. For a fit for duty and what it should look like and what it should include. Oh, outstanding. Well, the funny part was Doctor Number Four, who we absolutely no doctor Number Four that we absolutely adore and Dr Number five's report fit the standards for the FBI's requirement for a fit for duty. Doctor Number Ones, I don't even think it was in the ballpark. I mean, there was so many holes in it.
0: This is why y'all got to get you a Susan. <laughs>
1: It was scary. And I so I pulled that protocol. I get it from him. I send it to these doctors. And they start to look at it also because they'd never seen it and acknowledge where doctor number ones is falling completely apart and cannot even be deemed reliable at any level.
0: So it's confirmed he's an incompetent. Yes. Human. Got yes. It.
1: Yes. Yes. So, go ahead.
0: We should put him in charge of police officers' lives that are <laughs> you know, at risk. This is great. Every
1: department should hire this man. You bet.
0: Ugh. And there's some still Good using God him. God in anyway. heaven. Anyway.
2: So, I spent nine, I think we figured nine months off of work, roughly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, during that time, we're a smaller department, obviously, compared to the Phoenixes yeah, of the not world. Phoenix, sure. uh, and three people had reached out to me during my time off. Right. And it's not necessarily, and I've talked to some of those people since then. And guys and gals they just don't know what to say you know what do you say to an officer that's crying in his full uniform and well especially
1: given they'd probably been there at some point themselves and it's scary to to have to look at this sergeant that was respected um at a department who goes through this if they'll treat him like this good gosh How will they treat just the patrol officer on the street who might be struggling with the same kinds of things?
0: Yeah, well, I think that's why it's such a struggle for departments to make their guys feel like they give a damn. Right. Because it is, I can tell you right now, as a guy at the bottom, it is real easy for us to feel like you don't give a crap.
1: Right, you're a number, and we can replace you with the next person coming out of the academy. Absolutely, Which is not true, and and that's an issue. But anyway, that's a whole other show we need to talk about. It's a dance.
0: Yeah.
2: So when I was coming back, there was... Somehow suicidal turned into homicidal, and there were yeah that's a given. There was guys making comments that they need to wear an extra breastplate because I'm coming back to work. What the hell? Yeah. oh yeah, they're
1: called they're blowing up my phone. How can you say he can come back to work? And I'm like, guys, take a breath. Everybody, I'm I'm not going to let somebody come back that I think is going to endanger you or themselves. Give him a chance.
2: And we had talked about it with. Jason Schechterly on his podcast. Everybody has their own storm. Mm-hmm. It yes. depends on how bad the storm is. You know, is it a class five hurricane hitting another one to hit Louisiana coast, or is it just a simple tropical storm? Right. You know, and
1: and do you have the coping skills and tools and and stuff to support you through the storms? And that was that's the whole thing. And and these storms and the garbage can. People need to understand too. This garbage can concept can start in childhood. You know, Mark Valenzuela from Phoenix PD, retired now, that has taught with me, said his started filling up when he was a child and his parents had a really ugly divorce. Yeah. And nobody helped him process through that. So that started his garbage can.
0: That makes sense.
1: So it doesn't have to be a shooting. Please don't everybody jump in and go, Oh, well, I've never been in a shooting or whatever. It could have started just from other types of trauma that nobody helped you cope with.
2: Yeah. And... Truly, I, I don't regret anything that I went through. Um, and I know that won't make sense to some of the people listening, but I everything that you go through in life, I'm a Christian man and we go through trials in life, and there's good that comes from every bad mm-hmm. if, if you allow yourself to think that way. Yeah. And what it has led to is other men and women coming to me to seek out, you know, yes. what do I do? I, I'm lost yeah. yeah, type of thing. And it's, it's interesting sitting back, having been through it before, knowing what it's like when you're in someone's house and they're nonstop pacing. The uncontrollable crying, the not eating, the losing weight, the not sleeping, you know, I've experienced it all. And now that my garbage can is so empty, when something comes up, like my daughter and granddaughter moving to Utah and driving in a snowstorm, I'm more equipped because I've... Mm-hmm. Have Susan in my head, you know. Yep. It, it allows you to be able to uh, successfully process process life, yep. basically. So we these we, are
1: temporary things that we don't have to overreact to. And and Chris and I actually are, or he may not know this exactly, although we've talked about it. Um, but we're actually working on a theory about how cops, especially process anxiety, not necessarily in a healthy manner, um, and can explain why, and it was interesting to see Jason Schechterley and Chris have that conversation yeah. about how both of them have dealt with it. And this is something else we're going to be putting in writing and getting published. We hope out there somewhere yeah. for people to recognize they're not alone in how they process this anxiety.
0: No, no, yeah. I remember you guys talking about how you both like to take drives. drives. And yes. About how that trying to do loud with music controlling a situation. And, yeah, and I remember so I was sitting there and I just wanted a microphone. I just wanted to talk. I can't help not talking. Uh, <laughs> and but, you were going
1: to be quiet in this podcast. Is that what you said? Yeah, you were just going to be an observer I, here.
0: Well, we we all know better. Yeah, that's why right. you shook your head? Yes. But I, I remember thinking like, oh man, like birds of a feather, right? Because this is all pretty new to me. Like me seeing Susan and going through some tumultuous life events sure. um, is like this year, right? So it's pretty new to me right. uh, learning how to cope with all these things. But two things. One, I wanted to, to mention what you were just saying about how like you don't regret anything. I I couldn't agree more with that idea. It's almost like we take pride in being a beast of burden. Mm-hmm. Like there's... Some, like, so I think about this story that I heard, and it might be slightly apocryphal, sorry for you historians, but I heard the story that George Washington, who was an Aristotelian thinker, right, right, believed in taking on as much responsibility as one could. And that's how you know that you're doing well in the world, right? right trying to make a good change. And while he was off at war, the guy that kept his house, his servant or whatever, mm-hmm. the, the British came, and he thought they were going to burn down their house george's house so mm-hmm. he's like oh, i'm gonna try and be nice to these guys so that they don't burn down his house so he invites them all in feeds them all dinner they stay the night and then they leave the next day <laughs> well when george comes home from the war and he finds out about this he yells at this guy he gets super angry he's like you took away a chance for me to be challenged and face hardship in my life that you should have let him burn my house down
4: interesting and
0: it's like how fascinating but yeah. it's like that's the mentality i think sure. it's where it's like you know what I'm capable of carrying this burden. <laughs> obviously, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> right.
1: At then, the time, in the moment. Right,
0: but we are able to overcome. And sure. when we do, it's a per- it I mean, it, they weren't prideful. It strengthens your character. Yeah. They weren't prideful moments, right? But it's, it's almost like we take pride personally in being able to carry that, especially if it benefits those around us.
1: Well, and that's the thing, I think, with Chris, because his story, obviously, because of its nature, became very public. Mm -hmm. at his department so now that he has overcome the fear of him coming back to work and all that stuff and again as i said on badge boys chris is probably one of the most respected officers at his department now and people come to him and that's her opinion (laughs) he has i hate and believe you me Those words don't taste good coming out of my mouth. (laughs) Yeah, it's like
0: us telling you that you're always right. Yeah, We know.
1: But I'll give credibility where it's due (laughs) occasionally. Um, But the reality is is they'll come to him because they know what he's been through and he's overcome it. And he has credibility where I would never have credibility just walking up to him and going, hey, you need to come talk to me. Right. He has been able to see the benefits of his trials – In helping others because they trust him and then they come here and they get better and then they spread the word that that's what I laugh about departments don't hire me the unions and associations do but that's really not why my doors are constantly revolving with people coming in and out seven days a week it's word of mouth Mm -hmm. and in this population there's no bigger honor. Than to have people call and go, hey, I'm calling because somebody in my department or my squad said I needed to come see you. Mm-hmm. That's huge for me. Yeah. If I could pay my rent with it, believe you me, that's exactly how I'd pay my rent.
0: Well, it's like we talk about there's different tools, right? Like sure. we talk about the licensed world. That sure. they have a place.
1: Absolutely. There's a place at the table for everybody.
0: Right. And then... what you offer is a totally different totally different uh, and they they fill different gaps right and then what chris represents is that other tool where it's like hey this is life experience this is something i've been through right if it's not making sense to you how these tools play out let me tell you something right like listen to my chris hadn't
1: gone through this we would not have found doctor number four that i have sent my gosh probably 30 or more law enforcement officers to and what year was that again 2015. So in five years, 30-plus officers, plus his department, also certain people in that, presence of the unions and stuff, send people to him also. So I don't even know about those numbers. I'm just telling you straight out of under the shield. And it, he's, he's just an amazing professional, and he gets it. He gets it.
4: That's
0: what we need.
1: And that's what's important. So – Chris's going through this has really opened the door for quite a few people that I don't know what would have happened to those people, truthfully, right. looking it, back at it. And it shows
0: that it doesn't have to be a total disaster. No, it like, doesn't. The, the process. Like, and it's not that it's easy, but that there is coming back. It's not like, oh, they made a mistake. We can't take the risk. Cut them. Like that's, I feel like that's... If you took my duty away from me, I, I would lose at least 50% of the purpose in my life.
2: Well, Well, funny that you should say about. that because... I never showed signs of everything that I was going through at work. Right. So I nose to the grindstone kind of guy that's way I was raised and I I've always been like that. Still to this day I'm like that. So you get to work, you go 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 and mm-hmm. it is part of your purpose and part yeah. of your life and especially you know the men and women listening to this that are sworn you know what Ace and I are talking about, you know. Sure. I I don't I didn't have the stress and anxiety that I was experiencing while I was on duty because I had s- stuff I had to do. Yes. It's when I'm home by myself and the thoughts get in your head, and that's where the driving had come in during that time. You know, turn the stereo up. And if you think about it, when you get into a car and you're not homicidal, you're right. just, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, suicidal ideations, but you're not going to crash your car. You're not going to run into somebody. You're not going to speed to get pulled over or go too slow. So you're obviously going through all this stuff that you're while, in char- in control while you're driving mm-hmm. and it would I would drive until the noise in my head lessened. Yes. If if that makes any sense. Yeah,
0: you were talking about it being almost loud.
2: Yes. The 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 stress and anxiety, it's when you can't shut off the self-talk? Right. That's that's what I dealt with so much. My, yeah. my kids thank me for them experiencing it a little bit and my mom dealt with it a little bit in her yeah. life and so one of the things when going through this and having the men and women come to me I've seen grown men and women bawling their eyes out in uniform yeah and it's they're going through whatever that they're going through and I want Susan to talk about it a little bit <coughs> does does an issue i mean you have two people that have sat on your couch here in the room now yeah. Are there levels of issues that you deal with to where you look at some of them and be like, well, that's easy to fix? Sure.
1: Well, and again, our philosophy is the brain controls the body. How the body feels impacts what the brain thinks. So we always start from the physiological standpoint, like our episodes last week here at Fight in Progress, and we talked about the vitamins, the minerals, and sleep, because when I can get you physiologically in balance and feeling better, Narrows it down. then the thoughts and the, all of that other stuff can can then be dealt with. And that was a lot of the issue for you, obviously, with the sleep issues. And you had to get to a really bad place before you'd start listening to me. Because you know, the first however many visits you were coming, you, you were yes and me and
2: Playing the game, playing the game,
1: (laughs) and I told him. I remember telling you one time. I don't know if you remember this. We were in the conference room where my old office was in Mesa, and you literally were stretched out on the table, the conference room table, (laughs) looking at me. (laughs) Yeah, and I told him. I said I can sit here and listen to the stories all day long, but eventually we're going to get around to what the problem is. Yeah, you decide.
2: Yeah, and let's talk a little bit too. If I know you and I have talked talked about it, but. You know, there's men and women out there that say, you know, Susan and Under the Shield isn't licensed. And Mm -hmm. where does the confidentiality, you know, play in? I can tell you doctor number one was not happy at all that she had no notes. So (laughs) I'd been seeing her for years and she's like, I don't have anything to give you. Nope. You know, I could come up. I think we had talked about, you know, I could come up with a sheet of paper, you know, but there's no specifics. She remembers everything. Trust me. Right. right but well, I
1: remember what I need to remember. When I, is, I conveniently forget the stuff I don't need to remember. <laughs> Plus so, I'm with older.
2: the stress coaches and yourself, talk about the the confidentiality. Portion. Yeah, there's this
1: there's this concept out there that because we're not licensed, we're not bound by confidentiality. Right. And I said, well, we kind of taken that out of play because if it isn't written down. Again, and the number of people I see in a seven day period are with trainings, people come up on breaks and are talking to me. I've been doing this 28 years and I'm over 60, which pains me greatly to say that. Um, I, don't, I don't retain the information because I don't need to. Because our philosophy is we deal with what walks through the door. Yeah. You walk through the door today with sleep issues. You walk through the door next week with family issues.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: We deal with what you come in with. And so this whole concept that there's no confidentiality, we do it based on anonymity and no notes. Now, with Chris's department, his union mm-hmm. actually contracts with me. That's a that whole dollar, 19 a month, whatever, yeah. uh, per person. Yeah, boy. Um, but the, the, what they did, because I was a litigation paralegal prior, the lawyer for that union agreed to make me part of the legal team. So anything that is said to me, especially after a critical incident shooting or anything along those lines, um, then falls under the attorney-client privilege.
0: Right. Then you are covered
1: because I'm part of that. Yeah, right. So it, you know, if you really want to play with words and how this works, um, but you guys know, if I'd ever breached confidentiality in 28 years, would I still be sitting here today?
0: No. And here's here's the thing that, that this is my biggest argument to guys that have asked me this because I have literally handed you my whole department. Yes. Because <laughs> we're have. All, we're yes. all screwed up. Yes. Um, but it's like when they when they ask about that kind of thing like oh is this going to get back to this or any it's like what motivation does she have like You're sitting up, like, you just show up on a Tuesday at two o'clock, and she's like, yeah, let's talk for four hours. Sure. What motivation does she have to want to give away your information? It benefits her nothing. No. So, it's, I, I, and that's any of the stress coaches. There's, like, if you were to call me, I'm not a stress coach yet, but I will be. Yeah, Chris Um, will be, too, and and Chris (laughs) is already dealing with people. Yeah, you keep making promises, but Uh, COVID, baby, COVID. Delivery. Yeah, that's what everybody says. Uh, (laughs) You should be gone any day now.
1: Any day now. Yeah, that's true,
0: right? He won. Anyway... um, it's it just does, it doesn't make sense if you play it out. There's there's no reason for any of us to want to give your information back. We're one of you guys. Like right. we, like we're all the only reason we do this is because we're on your side. Yeah, if a department That's called and purpose. offered
1: me a million dollars, which is never going to happen, but anyway, um, but and she'd again, sell you it, up real quick. it's the ministry here. We're a five hundred one c three. You know we we're not making a lot of money. A lot of people we see we see for free.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know they donate. They'll make a donation to under the shield. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't charge anybody walking through this door. You know, again, the unions are paying $35 per member per year, not per month, per year. Jeez. So it's never been about money. I do have to pay my rent and car note and a few things like that, a few mm-hmm. bills like that. But as I laugh and tell the Phoenix guys, I go, y'all just find the safest overpass for me to live under and during the <laughs> summer, bring me some water every now and then. It <laughs> will be good. Yeah. But it's not about money. It never has been. If,
2: if departments could figure out, that they would have a more productive staff,
1: healthier, healthier too. staff. Yeah,
2: just by doing the trainings, yes. you know. And I know for a fact we're dealing with one right now that was in a training uh,
1: uh, over a year ago.
2: Over a year ago, and remembers the training and is now out. reaching out for help. Jeez, you know. And
1: here's the thing, too. What I want supervisors, if there's anybody in here, on here listening, that's a sergeant or some departments of corporals and above. But here's the deal. How many times does something like Chris's story happen in a department and the person either successfully kills themselves mm-hmm. or quits or gets fired and everybody in the department walks around going, yeah, man, saw that coming. Really? Like every time. You saw that coming and nobody did anything. I mean, even Chris's situation. Supervisor's chief sat around and talked about what did we miss? Yeah, Why don't you call somebody outside the department? who might be able to educate you yeah. about what you missed. Because mm-hmm. if you missed it, it means you're not qualified to decide what you missed. Yeah. Pretty I mean, simple concept. I mean, it's,
0: and, look, I'm not, I'm not tooting my own horn. It's just I talk about this stuff with like my wife and my kids and people that are outside of it. Sure. Uh, to, to a degree, right? My wife isn't exactly outside of it.
4: Right. She, she's, just, she's intimately involved. involved. Yes.
0: But it's it, anybody who's thinking about becoming an officer or if you're brand new, if they haven't explained it to you, you sign up for a fight every day that yes. you're not expecting and that you have a bunch of rules to play by and everyone else doesn't have rules. You, you get a bunch of tools, but you don't get to use them until everybody gives you a reason to use them. Right. You, you are completely at a disadvantage and you sign up for that disadvantage because it's the honorable thing to do. Sure. That, that's it, man. I don't care how much your department pays. I think mine pays the most in this state. Yes. That does not change the level of stress and difficulty that the job brings. That is, that, that is just a di that is a completely separate thing. Sure. <laughs> there are so many officers that I know, uh, me being one of them, regardless of my department that I'm with and I get paid decently, but so many officers like, I don't do this for money. My family's like starving Nobody to does. Death. If they did,
1: right. they don't stay in it very long. Right. Yeah. They'll leave and <laughs> Somebody go. Somebody lied.
0: They'll leave and go do mortgages. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's, it, this is, this is hard, man. This, yes. this job is hard. We don't get all the training that we need. And it's, and it's impossible to give us everything that we could possibly need. Right. I get that. We, we need to think about our guys other than just liability. We need, we need to care about their well being because all of that matters. Listen to Jocko for God's sake, leaders. There's, we can, we can support our guys better. And when they feel supported, they will support you.
1: Well, let me let you in on a little secret. (laughs) I was teaching border patrol many years ago. And again, I call this a God thing. (laughs) Because my brain is having a conversation of where are you going with this, Susan, as words are coming out of my mouth. (laughs) And ultimately what it came down to was that y'all are issued firearms in the academy. You're taught how to clean and maintain those firearms. And when I asked all these Border Patrol agents, why did they teach you that? And one of them kind of got a smart-ass attitude. And he goes, because if they don't teach us to do that, it could malfunction or misfire. And I said, you're right. And I said, but if I take the gun and I sit it on the desk for the next eight hours, what's it going to do? And he goes, nothing. And I said, what's going to determine if the gun's used properly or not? And he said, the person that picks it up. I says, let me get this straight. We spend a lot of time in academies teaching you and in-service how to clean and maintain your equipment. But we don't teach the person behind the vehicle, the taser, the baton, the gun, how to clean and maintain themselves. It makes perfect sense to me. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is the problem. We focus on things because it's the way we've always done this favorite line in law enforcement
0: worst line
1: absolutely and they've been saying it for a hundred years and we forget we've got human beings doing this job y'all are not robots you're not exempt from pain and suffering you're not exempt from the psychological garbage can and if anybody out there is listening from the licensed mental health side let me let me give you a little hint here um licensed mental health will say to me i am negligent in letting officers who are considering suicide leave my office with their gun. <laughs> and I go, you want me to back up a U-Haul to his house and all of his guns <laughs> out? I don't think so. That would be an interesting conversation. But the point is, you're dealing... And they'll say to me, but Susan, his life is more important than his job. Now, cognitively on paper, agree with you 100%. But here's the problem. You guys, by your nature, not by your training, yeah. by your nature... Put your lives on the line every day for people you don't even know. You don't stop and think before you enter a house or stop a vehicle. Gosh, this could be my last day. Look at the uh, warriors and first responders of 9-11. Yeah. Those guys and gals going in and out of those buildings, Not, I guarantee not one of them stopped and went, dang, if I go back in there, I could die. So we're dealing with a population who puts their lives aside mm-hmm. to do their job. Now you're talking about take their job.
0: Well, you and I have talked about this exact <laughs> topic, and it, it, it kind of gets my blood going, because I, I understand the nobility in wanting to save one's life.
1: Sure, absolutely. I,
0: I understand that. That's, why, that's, why, that's part of why we do what we do. Uh, that, right, And that's
1: part of why I do what it's, I do. I exactly. just do it differently.
0: I understand the nobility in that. But to say that their life is more important, it is not... It, look, I, I get it. As the doctor, it, you're, you're hyper-focused, right? Like as a drug guy, when I pull anyone over, I'm thinking, where's the mess? Sure. When, I'm, when you're a doctor and I come into your office, you're thinking, how do I save his life? I get it. But big picture, th- that is clearly not the most important thing to me. Right. I willingly put that thing up as a shield All the time, when I'm out with my family, when I'm doing my job, when I'm driving really fast to go save one of my buddies or to stop some dude from kicking in a window into a house. I I put that aside and go, you know what? I'm just going to rely on me being a competent human and just kind of like, hope I don't die and I'm going to go do this thing. Sure. And that's what we do. So to say like your life is the most important thing, I've already decided way before I met you that it's not.
1: Yeah. It is important. Well, I think every cop has to make that decision, don't you,
0: Chris? Yeah. Yeah. It is important. Absolutely. Because if I'm dead, I can't do any of those things. Right. I get that. But it's not the most important thing. And it is certainly not the only important thing.
1: And you don't jeopardize the job and the identity to save the life. We have to figure out what's happening in the life to save the job yeah. and all of it. And that's why I think Chris's situation was of interest because... You know, you hear he was off for nine months. There are a lot of cops out there going, Can't give me nine months off at home, I'll be good. Sure, right. But that would be it's, suicidal. it's what was going on in those nine months, and he's doing all the right stuff, but he's still having to face harsh consequences mm-hmm. that shouldn't have happened in the first place. And to my knowledge, has has your department ever apologized to you for any of this? Have they ever <laughs> No said, hey, Chris, come on in. Let's talk about it so we can figure out how to fix this system.
2: No. So the
1: system's still broken as far as you know.
2: As far as I know, yes.
1: Because I know that doctor number one has seen someone else from your department in the last year. Correct. God bless it. Yeah, I don't know the outcome because I don't want to have to lose my mind over it. But anyway. I'm not a
0: betting man, but I'll take a prediction. Right.
1: Yeah, me too. Um, but that's the problem. We We see that it's broken, but who's fixing it? And, again, those supervisors should have reached out to me to because they knew. Your, your direct supervisor knew you were seeing me, right? Correct. Why wasn't there a phone call of, Susan, how do we head this off?
0: That's the thing I don't get is how officers on the – like, all we do is problem solve. You guys said it earlier. Yes. Like, we, we analyze things and we problem solve. Uh-huh. How do people go from – as soon as stripes hit the shoulder – it's like the problem-solving ability starts to completely deteriorate. It's like, what what, hap- what What magic Kool-Aid do they give you that kills that part of your brain? Well, here's what's interesting. I mean, you've been there to the yeah. other side. I'm right?
1: reading this book now that was given to me by an FBI agent down in Key West, Florida, last year. It's called FBI Miami Firefight. Five minutes that changed the bureau. And I remember this because I was married to DEA at the time. Yeah, And I remember his my... Uh, husband at the time's partner calling me and saying, Susan, buy him a semi-automatic. And I bought him his very first semi-automatic. It wasn't issued by DEA. Yeah. And I bought him a SIG. And this firefight where two FBI agents were killed, yeah. changed firearms and is everything that, within the FBI. Is that
0: the one where they pocketed all their brass and everything? No, no. no? Okay.
1: Um, but then you had the one in Compton with the two guys wearing all the bulletproof yeah. vest and helmets and everything that. else, take on LAPD, probably one of the largest SWAT teams in, and most professional in the country, and that changed it to law enforcement finally having long guns. Yep. So how come we recognize change that needs to happen from an equipment standpoint, but we're still not changing things for the person behind the equipment? And that's all we're trying to do at Under the Shield. You know, we, we say there's room at the table for everybody. you got to start to bring some change in to the license world.
0: I, th- I think, and this could just be like a naive answer to that, and maybe it's uh, emotional, but I feel like things like the weaponry change because, or the training change, because the people that are in charge of that kind of thing feel like they take some responsibility for what happened. Sure. Right? But when an officer kills himself in a car, I think they're able to not take responsibility for that no they'll I'm, say that's personal right well i'm gonna tell you right now like as somebody who's gone through some serious emotional turmoil I, not comparing I, i'm right but my own issues Yep. this everybody's year, garbage is their own garbage it, right my own issues this year and dealing with like you you talk about like the noise i feel heat it's like it's like an actual real fire mm-hmm. and it's like anger or rage or something and it's like fight flight posture or submit right and i freak out But having gone through that, I can tell you right now, leaders at my department, I'm not trying to blame you. I'm not blaming you, but I'm saying you bear responsibility for your men. Sure. And if there are things that we are facing at the department and things that are going unaddressed, like I'll tell you what right now, there's not a single thing that I have faced at my department that has pissed me off or that I thought was wrong that y'all don't know about. Right. I say everything which is why I'm still a patrol officer. Well, how many people, though, have
1: even asked your department to bring me in for training?
0: And uh, it's still being ignored. I think three or four. For and, years. Yeah. And it's, you you guys, you, you bear responsibility. If you Absolutely. take a position of leadership over Absolutely. men and women, it is your responsibility. If you don't agree with that, get out. Get out of the way. Let somebody who wants to bear that burden be there. It is not a bigger paycheck. It's, I'm, I'm, like, getting angry right now. Get the hell out of that office because sure. you don't belong. It's not for a paycheck. It's not because you've been here longer. It's because you're willing to take on the burden. And you know what the paycheck is? It's like the little perk that you get, which should not compensate even close for how much responsibility you take over these men and women because that's what it's about. Sure. If you're not ready for it, get out of the way. Go back to the road because I, I guarantee you, you probably suck there too.
1: But the system has to change because you had a great supervisor
0: correct they happen
3: and
1: yeah, <laughs> there there are rare uh, unicorns out there and he happened to be one but again i don't even think he understood where or how to change it because the top of the food chain doesn't necessarily really want to change it yeah do you think correct and you know my question to you too is cuz this is something we didn't talk about on on the badge boys yeah, you had a large amount of your garbage from this event with your friend being murdered. But the day-to-day of your job, even as a supervisor, because I think somebody took offense to me saying on Badge Boys that you were, what What was the word I used, a jerk?
2: Jerk, Yeah. But I
1: think some of the people that you supervised thought you were a jerk.
2: Yep, correct.
1: And so that was a legitimate statement, but the reality is, is why were you a jerk? And you said it to me, um, I think, when we were texting one day about it. You cared about your people. You took on their problems. Correct. So you were putting all that in your garbage can on top of all the other stuff that you couldn't change or that you saw needed to be done because, again, you're just a little lowly sergeant. (laughs) Which is actually, let me say this to the sergeants out there, I think that has to be one of the most difficult positions to be in, in a department.
0: Talk about playing interference.
1: Because you aren't one of the the officers, mm-hmm. and you're not really one of the supervisors, so to speak. You're that person that everything rolls to. Yep. And you, I mean, you can speak more to that because you. Were, how long were you a sergeant?
2: Uh, five years.
1: And they've Jeez. been begging you to test again, to which I threaten <laughs> you within an inch of your life, as well as your other friend who came out uh, for you. That if you do, we will you will go missing. <laughs>
2: I'm scared. <laughs> you're gonna try out anyway. No, <laughs> just no. roll the dice. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> and what you talked about it a little bit on the Badge Boys too. It's what the department and the leaders need to realize. It's not a disease. No, it's not something that you're never going to overcome. Mm-hmm. You know, there there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely, for a vast majority of these men and women going through the issues that they're going through.
1: Yeah. Well, just like the rifles from Compton. In the semi-automatics from Miami, there are solutions, but you have to be open to those solutions. And again, the license world has got to stop fighting that there's also another component that needs to come in. Because again, doctor number four is licensed psychologist, got PhD in his name, and he's getting a lot of referrals from us. And we take care of things at a certain level. And then when it gets to a different level it goes to him. Yeah. We make his job a whole lot easier because there's parts of it and I'm still part of the treatment team even when they go to him. Yeah. Because again, he sees the benefit mm-hmm. of having someone do what I do where I can see him for 4 hours or 6 hours or whatever's needed. He because of time constraints can only do 50 minutes to an hour most of the time. And so again, It gives him a place to say, okay, go back to Susan and y'all work through this. Mm -hmm. And then he can deal with what he needs to deal with. Yeah. And it's just a shame we can't get departments to open their eyes and minds to this. Because in a world right now where y'all are Satan reincarnate to a lot of people, unfortunately, um, which I think we're going to see a change in in that. And I hope very soon because otherwise it's going to be... You know, every every man and gun for themselves. Um, but we Seems have to go in
0: 30 year cycles.
1: Yeah. So. But we have to understand that we've got to take better care of our people because we need people who are healthy psychologically and physically in better places to deal with the public. Or you're all going to be out here ripping people's heads off and snapping at people and that kind of stuff. That's not good for business either. Mm-hmm. Nobody's promoting that you just need to be able to go to that place when it's necessary. And I I don't understand why people are fighting our training and fighting this idea of stress coaches. I really it makes no sense to anybody. That's the sad part. But for supervisors out there, we have a supervisor training that gives you the tools to head these things off by seeing symptoms in people that you can head it off early before it becomes an issue and you have to discipline And or terminate. I mean, I would think your goal would be not to have to discipline or terminate people. You'd think. You'd think. Um, Let us give you that tool. Then we have the training for families, because the families are the first line of defense. They're the ones. Chris's now ex-wife, she saw all the early warning signs. I think she probably made the bigger push for y'all to come to me, didn't she?
2: She, Yes, at the time. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, the families are seeing the deterioration of people's personalities and attitudes and addictions and sleep and all that stuff. They don't know who to call because if they call the wrong person, look out. Yeah. And fortunately for Chris, um, I don't know why she didn't call me that night, but thank heaven she called who she did. Right. And because I'm not sure you would have at that stage really listened to me, but I, I know you would have listened to him. Yeah, I don't know if you could. I'd have had to beat you. I, that's a, all there is to you.
0: You're at what? A two, three? Or two, three, two. Yeah. Geez. Yeah. No,
1: see, I'd have just had to beat him, but, and I'm not beyond it. Um, but this I person know. is a lot more patient and all those things. And he's a really great guy.
0: They're good qualities. You should look into them.
1: <laughs> Maybe as I get older, but somehow I kind of doubt it. Um, but anyway, so as we wrap this up, is there anything else, Chris, you want to contribute to this?
2: No, I think we covered all of it.
1: Well, and, you know, all we can say is to anybody listening, if you need help, if you're family of law enforcement or first responder or military, please, please call us at 855-889-2348. Ace, you put this stuff up on our page and everything. All yep. the numbers are there. Yep. It's there at Under the Shield Foundation. Um, You can email me. uh, You can reach out to any of us. You want to talk to Chris, I'm happy to put you on the phone with him. He's already talking with one of our people from up north now. And uh, we're here to help. Make up a name. Be Bugs Bunny. Be Daffy Duck. I don't care who you are (laughs) um, because that's not what's important. What's important is you need help and you're reaching out for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if you're listening to us, you're probably listening on Spotify. We're also on SoundCloud. In any of the descriptions of any of the podcasts, I'm going to have all the information for me and Susan and the uh, organization. Yes. So you can look up all of that. It'll have a link to our Facebook. It'll have a link to the other Spotify or SoundCloud, whichever one you're not using. Um, and it'll be talking about the episode today, so I'll have specifics in there. But, yeah, the phone number's in there. Everything's there. Uh, our sponsor's there. Everything. So
1: Yeah, share this information. Um, you know, the the more we get this out, the more people can reach out for help. Nothing makes me sadder than to hear an officer say, where where were y'all 20 years ago? And I go, I was here fighting the same battle that I'm fighting today. Um, We've been nationwide and even in Canada for 28 years. So please reach out to us. If there are topics you want to hear, let us know. Ace and I are always open to those. I know we'll have Chris back on here again because we're going to be talking about anxiety and why cops do Some of the things they do, it was interesting even Mm -hmm. asking somebody at church after church, just kind of casually, and uh, they ride their motorcycle. That's another common thing for anxiety. So we're going to hit on these subjects, but don't hesitate to let us know what you want to talk about. And uh, we appreciate your being here with us and hope you'll be back next week. not even going to be able to give you a teaser about what <laughs> next week is because Ace and I hadn't decided.
0: And We don't know what we're is. doing.
1: Yeah, we wing this thing. But mm-hmm. anyway, but God bless you and your families. And let me say thank you for all the sacrifices all of you make out there because lived it, did it, and I don't think you hear that enough. Chris, thank you. We can't thank you enough for being here. Yeah, thanks, man. That's we'll good. have you back.
0: Yep, we love you all. Thanks for showing up. We'll see you next time. Thank you to Universal MMA and Fitness for sponsoring today's episode. You can find their info in the description below.